We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Today's show is presented by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC, and you'll be able to take advantage of something most books don't offer, and that's the ability to cash in and cash out quickly. You make your deposit at MyBookie.ag. You use my promo code, KevinDC, and you only have to wager that deposit amount one time, and you're eligible to cash out right away. Uh, this is an advantage for those of you that just like betting certain events like March Madness. Uh, you're not required to bet your deposit amount more than once. Sometimes you have to bet it two, three times before you're eligible to cash out at my bookie. They let you bet anything, anytime, anywhere. And if you use my promo code, wager your deposit amount one time and cash out. That's mybookie.ag promo code. Kevin DC. All right. Uh, today's show is a one guest show. Monday's show will be a one guest show. And the reason for that is I've taken a few days off. I'm going to go down and hang out with my father uh, down in Florida for a few days. Uh, I'll be back Tuesday with a more current show, I guess you could call it, uh, with Tommy. Um, but I recorded two interviews. Uh, before leaving um, for the weekend, and I'm going to play one today, and I'm going to play one on Monday. Today's interview, which I'll get started here in about a minute, is with Walt Williams. Um, Walt, of course, a legendary basketball figure in this town, a very significant figure in the history of Maryland basketball. And we are going to talk a little Maryland hoops, but mostly we're going to talk about Walt. Walt had an interesting uh, decision to make when he was at Maryland and the Terps went on probation back in the early 1990s, and he chose to stay at Maryland, which meant he would never play in the NCAA tournament. In fact, one of those last two seasons, his games weren't even on television. But Walt, during those two years, those two years of probation, uh, he was a star. Uh, Second-team All-American, set the ACC record for points in conference games during a season, eight straight 30-point-plus games, an ACC record as well. He went on to a long career in the NBA. So we're going to talk a lot about Walt uh, on the show today. Walt's a great guy, and I think you'll find um, the conversation interesting. And then on Monday, I recorded an interview that you will hear with the basketball coach at St. John's, the high school St. John's here in D.C. on Military Road Northwest. His name is Pat Behan. Uh, Pat is 
The head coach at St. John's, they just won the WCAC Catholic League title on Monday night at AU. I saw the semifinal games and talked about those uh, earlier in the week. They beat Paul the sixth. The two teams ranked nationally. PVI was number three. St. John's was number 11. St. John's pulled off the win. Uh, uh, PVI's first loss of the season. Apparently it was an incredible game, 65-63. But the reason I'm having Pat Behan, the head coach on the show, is he is fighting ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a disease without a cure. He was diagnosed roughly a year ago. He is battling it. He went through the entire season and coached his team to a Catholic League title, Um, and his story is an incredible one. In fact, his family's story um, is an incredible one and a very sad one uh, in many ways. But you'll hear that interview on Monday. And let me just mention right now, um, if you want to know a little bit about Pat Behan, go to Behan Strong. That's B-E-H-A-N Strong.com. Uh, and there are many different ways you can help fight uh, ALS. Uh, there's a party at Pat's, um, by the way, uh, hosted by ESPN's Tim Kirchin on March 18th. Uh, That'll be at the St. John's Gym, the Joe Gallagher Gymnasium at St. John's, Saturday, March 18th, 6 to 10 p.m. Yes, NCAA tournament games will be going on, but they will have TVs in the gym. Uh, you'll hear Coach tell me, hey, if they they weren't going to have TVs in the gym to watch the tournament – He wasn't going to show up. Um, But Tim Kirchin's hosting that event because Tim's brother, Matt, is also fighting ALS. Uh, So um, that's something uh, you can check out as well. But go to BeHandStrong.com and you'll hear my conversation with Coach on Monday. But today's show is about Walt Williams. And I started off the conversation talking about Maryland basketball, and then we got into Walt after that uh, and Walt's life here uh, in the DMV. Um, But I did ask him about the game against Ohio State on Wednesday night, the Terps losing against the Buckeyes, and what he thought of that game. It was the defensive end. You know, we are so used to the defense being consistent and in those games right there you just mentioned, they played well defensively. They just could not score. In this game here, they played they played solid offensively. But defensively, you know, Ohio State was – they just scored easily. You know, they got great shots on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, the Tufts just did not find their rhythm on the defensive end. Um. What do you make of this team overall? We didn't expect this at the beginning of the year. They're uh, you know, a lock to make the NCAA tournament. It would be nice to get the win Sunday at Penn State to get a road win to make sure that the seeding doesn't slide that much. But before we get to some of that, overall, when people ask you, you know, how good are the Terps, what do you say? I think they had a solid season. You know, um, when you look at preseason before they played a, a, a game, uh, you didn't see this team as a, a team that would have an opportunity to play in the tournament. Uh, you know, you thought that it, they would be on the bottom half of the Big Ten and, uh, you know, just based on just all of the things happening at once. And then you see the start, they they 8-0, and and then all of a sudden uh, the expectations just, just skyrocket. And it was a little bit of a, 
you know, they were um, overachieving in, in that point offensively. A lot of their games were at home where they have shown that offensively uh, they can be uh, uh, solid on the offensive end, be pretty consistent along with the defense that they've been playing. So, uh, you know, it's been a drastic difference when you go to the road. And so that has really, when you, uh, when you uh, uh, combine the two, uh, that's what you have right now. But I think that they've had a successful season. Um, like I said, before the season started, didn't think that they would be in this position right here. And so they beat some tough teams along the way. And uh, they've shown that uh, this is a tough team. They're going to fight. And it's reminiscent of, uh, of uh, Coach Willis' uh, personality. Um, it is. Uh, and speaking of that personality, um, overall, what kind of job do you think he's done in his first year? Uh, I think he's done a fantastic job, you know, just coming into a new environment, uh, 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 getting everyone to buy in. That's that's the biggest thing. You see these guys just playing uh, at a high level on the defensive end, giving a great effort. And uh, that's because they believe in the coaching staff. They believe in Coach Willett and, and what he's telling them. Um, but more specifically for me, I, I look at Julian Reese and, and his growth. Um, his growth definitely has to do with uh, his skill set growing, but also his mentality, his his, his uh, mental capacity, the way he plays the game, approach the game. Uh, you can see he plays with a with a lot more confidence, and I think that's the, a direct uh, impact of the way Coach Willard has coached him along the way, uh, even through his uh, um, the bad times early on. He was very positive with him. Um, uh, talk very positively with him in the media, but also I can see on the side he would always stay positive with him, even in um, uh, negative scenarios. And so um, I think that he had a, a good pulse on uh, the, the guys. I think he has a good pulse on the, uh, the different personalities of his team and, and the buttons he can push and, and when he needs to put his arm around guys and, and all of those things. I, gotta, I think he has a good a judge of that with his team, and that's very important because uh, now you can take that and apply it to any situation and kind of control things in, in your, the environment. But uh, they got to figure out how to uh, bring that on the road. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point you made. I think early in the season when maybe some of the questions maybe from the media, some of uh, definitely the doubts that fans had about Reese, uh, and every time Kevin got asked about him, he was super positive. He said, you know, last year was really kind of like a lost season. This year, you know, is really kind of his true freshman season. And he's, you know, a great kid to work with. He's positive. He's smart. Um, I, I, I noticed that early on, too. And that would be like after games in which I thought, you know, when watching him, I would get frustrated because I thought that there were – you know, I thought there was like maturity issues. You know, he would he would lose his temper a little bit. He would lose his cool. He would commit, you know, a foul after getting frustrated after a miss or something. But my God, the turnaround he has developed. He may be the quickest turnaround of a big guy in one season I've seen in a long time. Do you agree with that? You know, oh, I agree with everything you just said there. Because listen, you look at uh, his freshman year to the beginning of this year. And there wasn't much growth in between it when you saw how he played early on in the season. 
And uh, and then you look at the uh, from the beginning of the season till now. I mean, it's been a tremendous, tremendous amount of growth. So I mean, uh, yeah, you got to say that that's a direct impact of the, the skill set uh, being taught by the coaching staff, but also uh, the maturation of of uh, Julian as, as well. And and I think that has to do with the way uh, Coach Willard has uh, you know um, dealt with him along the way in up and down times. Yeah, and he's clearly more confident. I mean, he had a put back last night. I mean, he's basically right now every night almost a lock for a double double. It's it's it, it I seems mean, when, that I was, way. when I was watching him, I was thinking to myself, man, just space out the floor, just throw it into Julian, man, and let him go to work. I mean, that hook shot to the middle, I mean, he, he looked really good, you know. And so, uh, yeah, man, he's coming along, he's catching the ball solid finishing, dunking on guys, and so, you know, rebounding the ball, and uh, so he getting, he's getting double-doubles, so he looks good. Um, you know, one thing, and I know you would notice this if it's true, last year, Juju had, I thought, a completely different free throw stroke, and even shooting stroke, than he has this year. I actually, last year, would say when he was at the free throw line, He's got, you know, a decent stroke for a big guy. In fact, I think he made a couple of three-pointers last year. And this year, that stroke is totally flat, I think. Maybe maybe my memory's wrong from a year ago. D- have you noticed that? It said anything about it or not? Well, last year, he was a little bit – he was more up and down with sometimes he was shooting with arc and others he was shooting flat. But this year, he's more consistent with shooting the ball flat. Right. Uh, when you look at just the release of the ball, you look at his form in general, he has good form. But when it leaves his hand, it's flat all the time. So he has to get more arc on that thing. Sometimes big men and just guys in general, when when you're shooting the ball flat, it's like you're almost trying to put the ball in the basket. But you got to rely on your technique and rely on that form. And, you know, I always like to say, man, don't make it, swiss it. You know, so so uh, when you're practicing, you're trying to hit the bottom. And then when it's game time, you're used to that consistency of, of that arc you need to put on the shot in order to make, make it on a consistent basis. You know, I had this conversation with Tim Legler, I think, last year. Obviously, like you, um, you know, a natural-born shooter with, with perfect form. And we were talking about Kawhi Leonard. And Kawhi Leonard's one of my favorite players in all of sports. And yet, his jump shots a very flat shot. Um, mm-hmm. And and I said, you know, he's one of these guys, though, that with the long arms that he has, he's actually, what you described with Reese, he's actually just trying to put it into the basket. So the yeah. I, I think the longer-armed guys sometimes shoot a flatter shot, but as long as they get the backward rotation and it's coming off their fingertips – um, it, it doesn't seem to hurt Kawhi. You know, it's exceptions to all types of rules. You, you look at Reggie Miller, he almost shot the ball two-handed, you know. <laughs> and uh, so as a shooter, you go, the, the object is to make it. It don't have to look beautiful and then make it. It's just to make it. So regardless of how a person's form is, if, if they're consistently making it, you know, you don't you don't fool with it. You don't mess with it. But if you're not, then you, you tend to have to tweak it a bit. Yeah, I think though maybe the longer armed guys can get away with a flatter stroke because when they release it, they're actually closer. The ball's closer to the bucket. You know, just by 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 you know nature of the the length of their arms. Um, 
Speaking of of awkward shots that actually are pretty effective, what do you make of Hakeem Hart's development? Oh man, this uh, the thing about him is that uh, I think it's not necessarily about a shot; it's about all the other things that he can do. He has a long wingspan, so he gets deflections. Um, he's a fantastic decision maker. He has point guard vision out there. Uh, uh, at the two, he can he, he can post guys, and he's good around the basket, finishing uh, through fouls as well. When you double team him. Uh, he can see out of a double team and make that. He makes that a great uh, initial pass. So he offensively he makes things easier for for guys. Almost like uh you know, and he can play just about any position because of uh, his length, but also because of his uh skill set, man. And so uh he's not even that a guy that's real athletic. He got a, a little corky shot, but um you know he's definitely going to have to tighten that up if he's able to play at the next level. But I think he has a lot of tools to work with for sure. Who on this team plays at the next level NBA-wise? I'm not talking about professionally, you know, anywhere overseas, but who's got NBA potential? Juju obviously does. You'd agree with that, right? Yes. Who else? Yes. Um, you know, uh, it, that's tough to say. I think that uh, Jameer Young is a, a kid who has good size um, in terms of his strength. Um, he has good athleticism. Uh, one or two things is going to happen. Have to happen in order him, to, in order him for him to be uh, considered at the next level. His floor vision when he gets into the paint area, he's going to have to be a better decision maker, uh, to uh, a little bit better decision maker, or and or um, a, a bit more consistent on his outside jump shot. Um, I think he has it defensively. I think that he's very competitive. Um, like I said, he's athletic. And always, you know, he a lefty, man. Those lefties just have something with him, you know. Yeah. And uh, so <laughs> he finishes. Uh, he has a nice floaty game around the basket. So uh, he can he can finish around the basket as well. So um, he has a lot of tools. But I think that when you're talking about a point guard, you have to be able to shoot that ball um, consistently. Or when, get, when you're able to get into that paint area, those guys are a lot more athletic. They're taller at the NBA level. So you're not going to make a living of finishing in that paint unless you're like a, a, a John Morant type hops or something, you know. So you're going to have to – your floor vision is going to be key when you're getting into that paint area around those uh, – drawing those big guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Hakeem Hart as well, you know, um, like I said, mentioned earlier, I think his shot, uh, um, you know, he's going to have to work on that shot. But I think all the other things that he brings to the table makes him an interesting look. And so that uh, he might have an opportunity there, um, you know, just all the things that he can do. Um, you know, I think that, you know, I think those those guys have a have an opportunity. But there's some things that, that have to happen uh, for that to be legitimate. Um, I was kind of hoping Dante would, would, would have one of those years because I think he's got a great stroke. I think it's been inconsistent in terms of the results. Obviously, on the road, not as good as at home. With you know, That's pretty much with the entire team. Um, but I still like, like – I was talking to maybe Kevin Willard on the show about this a couple of weeks ago. I think every single one of the players that plays in really what is a seven-man rotation with Emilian and uh, Martinez off the bench, long a little bit, you know, gets some minutes, so maybe more of an eight-man rotation. I don't think any of those players defensively are flawed or are a target for the other team. Agree or disagree? 
Oh, absolutely. I think all of them can play. So, so when you're talking about uh, the next level, when you mention all of those guys, I think all of those guys can have an a, 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 a overseas career. Um, as a matter of fact, I think Dante Scott. I think that he has to play in that that pro environment and kind of figure it out a bit, and he might have a chance, you know, later on. Yeah. Um, but I think that he he's going to have to be in that in the the uh, Euro environment, that pro level environment for a bit uh, to understand how to play at that level, how to uh, figure it out um, uh, with his with his kind of skill set. So, but uh, but yeah, man, uh, I agree with you. I, I think that all of these guys are, are fantastic on the defensive end. They give a great effort. They all have great natural tools. The only thing is that when you run into teams that have that big guy, a seven foot guy, you know, a million struggles to guard uh, that size of, sure. of a guy who play play around the basket. Yeah. Um, all right. Last two on this team, and then I want to talk a little bit about you uh, for a few minutes. Um, why haven't they been able to win on the road? Man, if you can figure that out, you will get the new head coaching job. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me in that position. You've already coached against me a few times. Walt and I had we had a we had a summer league game once that went to four overtimes against each other. Yes, That's yes. What, that was one of my all time favorites. Four overtimes in a gym with no air conditioning uh, in the middle of August, I think it was. But but go ahead. Why why can't why haven't they been able to win on the road? What, what's different? Yeah, it, it was different than the Ohio State game because most times it's uh, they're just not able to. Uh, they have these laws where they can't score. Uh, they don't shoot the ball well from the outside when they're on the road. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, nobody wins the game 2-0. to zero. Defense is fantastic, but you have to be able to score out there, especially when you're on the road and somebody in somebody's home court uh, when they have the, fa- the fans, uh, the crowd support, and that gives them that extra energy, especially on the defensive end. So you, you you have to be able to score offensively to be able to calm that down and give your your um, your teammates confidence and and things like that. And so, but uh, um, I think that's been consistent for them their, their lack of uh, being able to uh, score uh, on the road. So you don't know how that looks in a neutral setting. You know uh, which team will show up there for for me in particular on the offensive end. I think that. The Ohio State game was more so of an anomaly. That they normally are that much better team on the defensive end, and so uh, they've shown that over the course of this uh, season. So you got to go with that. That that's going to be more consistent. But it's just a, the question is how will they how will they perform on the offensive end because they haven't been able to do that uh, consistently outside of Xfinity. Uh, um, um, last last one. I don't know how much of the rest of the country you've been watching. You've probably been watching a lot of Big Ten hoops like I have been. What do you think the best case is for them in March? Like, can they win two games and make it to the second weekend? Um, what, what do you think? Man, this team, like I just said, man, the, the way they play defense and the energy that they play with and the way Julian Reese has been playing lately, I think that absolutely they can, but they also can lose in the first round, you know. Yeah. So this team is it's just it's hard to call it, uh, you know, especially with, with that Ohio State game, you know. So it's just hard to call it when they are away from the home arena. How are they going to perform? But um, absolutely they, they can. 
Um, and I think it's the ground level is uh, because of what they do on the defensive defensive end collectively as a team. You, you know, they have good individual defenders, and then collectively they play well as a team also. All right, let's talk about you. I want to find out more about Walt Williams. Uh, we will start doing that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We've never done this before. I just want to talk a little bit about you because Walt had truly an amazing basketball career. And for those around this area, you know, everybody remembers what he did by staying at Maryland during the probation years, which really, as Gary's always pointed out many times before, was a crucial moment for him um, and what he was able to develop, you know, after they came off probation because Walt kept him competitive for those years, you know, in the early 90s in particular. But I want to start with this. How did this? How did the socks all the way up to the knees start? So uh, when I was in high school, one of my uh, the point guard when I was a sophomore was a kid named Mike White, and he used to wear high socks uh, all the time. And um, the importance of that is that when we used to go play, people in other gyms and stuff like that, they would have a little jokes or somebody might say something or whatever. And Mike didn't care at all. And then he'd come out in the game. He was a dude that was shooting from Steph Curry range, uh, you know, back then. And he would light teams up. And I always took notice of that. He really wouldn't even say nothing, just go out there and light teams up. And so when I was in college, I remember this one time I was watching highlight films uh, George Gervin, he was my favorite. I love watching <laughs> yeah. him. And uh, in all the clips, he had some really high socks on. So we had an inner squad scrimmage one time, right before or even right after a football game. And uh, so we had we had a crowd in there. And I mean, I pulled the socks up that day, you know, just you know, because it was uh, something that I, I I have seen before in my, at the high school level. So I thought it was cool. And uh, man, I I uh, had a really really good scrimmage. And uh, then from that point, I started to wear the high socks. And, uh, you know, I didn't just wear them in the game. I, I wore even, you know, just regular hanging out and stuff like that. You know, I would have the high socks on all the time because it started to feel uh, very comfortable to me. I didn't, it didn't feel comfortable to wear ankle socks. I think a lot of people listening know that, by the way, George Gervin was my favorite player as a kid. I had that Iceman poster with him in the Silver Spurs warm-up uh, you know, uh, warm suit sitting on the block of ice. Um, the Iceman was my absolute favorite player when I was a kid. You know, he, George Gervin, uh, I, got, I got a chance to meet him, um, Walt, about... 
Chris Cooley and I were doing the show together, and we were doing this golf tournament, one of these Jack Nicklaus uh, golf events out in northern uh, Northern Virginia, and George Gervin was playing in it, and somebody said, uh, we got a couple of people here that'll sit down with you, and they listed a, n- a bunch of names, and then somebody said, uh, oh, also, we've got George Gervin, and I said, yes, him, and by the way, he was, the, he was so much fun, and I remembered all of his big games, because they played the Bullets in the playoffs, you know, in the, in the mm-hmm. late 70s, and in one of those series, he basically averaged like 40 a game. Um, but anyway, um, the player the player that you really loved uh, in terms of being a college player, and those of us that know a little bit about you know where you grew up and how you were recruited and how you ended up at Maryland was Len Bias. Um, is that the number one reason? Was, was Bias the number one reason you ended up going to Maryland? Absolutely. Um, you know, I was a Georgetown Hoyer fan growing up as a kid. Um, I remember um, one of my high school teammates, uh, Mike Sumner, uh, he played for American University, and uh, they used to play this one, one time on Channel 5. Uh, it would be their only televised right. game, and it would be against the Hoyas there. And I, was, I would uh, run home and make sure I watched that game all the time. But just a huge Georgetown Hoyer fan, you know, John Thompson, you know, uh, you know, Reggie Williams, all of that, uh, Patrick Ewing. And so uh, my father uh, is from uh, um, Dunn, uh, North Carolina, so he's a Tar Heel fan. And so he took me to a uh, Tar Heel turf game one time. And uh, that was the first time I saw Len Bias. Uh, you know, I really was paying attention to him. I had seen him, you know, watching Maryland games, but not really paying attention, flipping the channel. And uh, he just went up and shot this jumper one time, and I was just like, "What in the world was that?" It was just the most beautiful thing I ever I had ever seen. It, it looked it looked it looked very different than everybody else's. And uh, man, I, next thing I was just zoned in on him. And uh, you know, after that, I just used to uh, you know every time the Turks would play, I would watch uh, you know like the Sports Machine or what have you, right. you know the sports shows or what have you, just to watch his highlights. I would watch his games all the time, and all of a sudden. I wasn't watching the Hoyas anymore. I was watching the Turks, you know. And so, uh, and then, um, you know, I wanted to, uh, and then I, I played against his uh, little, his younger brother yeah. in high school and then realized, oh, my goodness, he is from here, you know. And so, uh, and and uh, the biggest thing for me was this, man. This this was the biggest thing, Kim. Um, when we used to play pickup games, right, uh, we'd be out on the blacktop, and right before the game started, we would yell out uh, who we were going to pretend to be that day. And I would always yell out bias. I would get, I would yell his name out with the quickness, man. I mean, sometimes it would be an argument trying to get his name, you know. And uh, that meant something to me, you know. When I, when I, when it got to that point when it's, it's time for me to pick what college I want to go to, I, I thought about that. I wanted the kids when they played pickup games, I wanted them to pretend like they were me out there. And I felt like the, the only way they could do that in my community was to be right here and show them every, every day, like Lin Byers showed me. And so, uh, yeah, he was huge. He was huge. He was the biggest reason why I wanted to uh, uh, play at Maryland because I wanted to have the impact that he had. So when you were coming out of Crossland, who was – uh, Marilyn was on you. Who? I mean, you were uh, a high-level high school basketball player and a sought-after recruit. Who really wanted you? What, what were what were the choices? Was there anybody that was close to Marilyn? And and just give me the schools, the the top schools that were recruiting you. 
Uh, the, the, my final three were uh, Villanova. You know, I really liked Roly Massimino. He he was cool to hang out with. Um, you know, I thought that uh, yeah, I could I probably could ball out playing under him. Um, in North Carolina, uh, Dean Smith was the best man. I mean, that dude was just like. He was the king, man, you know, so, yeah. um, and my, and I have so many, um, this year be my 53rd annual family reunion down in North Carolina. So I have so many family members down there. So that would have been like playing at home as well if I had chose there. But like I said, it was Lynn Bice, man. Um, and so Maryland, I, I didn't even really, I didn't take the recruiting process all that serious. Um, I didn't really, I, even if I think back, back at it right now, I, I really couldn't think of, Oh, they really were recruiting me hard and all of these things. Cause I really wasn't even thinking about it. It was when guys would call me and and talk to me and stuff like that. I mean, it was almost like a bother, almost to some extent, because I I was just trying to play basketball, you know. And uh, so um, I, I made a decision to go to Maryland. And my mom is mad at me to this day. I didn't even talk to my mom or dad about it. I just told I went to the basketball office one day because I just got tired of people calling me. And I told my coach, hey, you know, there's no reason for me to keep, you know, this going on. I'm, I'm going to Maryland. I'm going to be like Lynn Bias. And so, um, you know. Did your, par- did your parents, what, when, did they want you to go somewhere else? No, so that's why it's okay. It's okay because it was Maryland I chose, so she do I'll be here at home. Right. My sister went, uh, was going to Maryland at the time as well, so it was all good. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's all good to this what, day. Did, did Coach Thompson recruit you hard, or did he just know your heart was Maryland? Uh, no, he didn't recruit me hard out of high school, uh, but when um, in that sophomore year, after my sophomore year when, when I was able to, uh, when I was in that position again of being able to transfer and not have to sit out, uh, that's when uh, Georgetown recruited me. Then, um, so let's talk about the you know the, the the year you know your senior year when you went for thirty plus points um, in a record eight straight games um, in the ACC. What do you remember about that stretch? I mean, you averaged that season, still to this day, a highest ever average in ACC conference play, 29.6 points per game. You hold the the, the school record for the most points uh, in a season uh, because that year you averaged over 26 points a game for the season, 26.8 points per game. But talk about the streak of 30-point games. Oh man, it was it was amazing to be a part of. Um, you know, many many of those games. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't know how many points I had until I got into the locker room. Every now and again, I had a teammate. His name is Frank Horton. So every now and again, we would go into the huddles, and when we came out of the huddle, it might be eight minutes left in the game or something like this, and Frankie would tap me leaving out of the huddle and say, hey, man, you only got 22. What, what you going to do? <laughs> you know, so he, he would do things like that, man. But, um, but um, you know, I was just trying to win, uh, do whatever I could to help us win. Uh, Coach Williams was adamant about me being aggressive to, to score and make plays. And, and that would give us a great chance to win. And so that's what I tried to do. Um, in, in that, you know, he made me feel like, uh, you know, he thought that I was the best player in the ACC. And it was amongst some great, great players, not young guys, but veteran great players. And, uh, and I believed him, man. And I tried to, uh, I tried to uh, show him every chance I got. 
And uh, during that stretch, you know, it was incredible the way my teammates, they were all vested in, and, uh, you know, me uh, dominating games and, and the way they set screens, the way they delivered the uh, ball, uh, the way they encouraged me throughout the game. After the game, you know, I would walk into the locker room after doing the interviews. My teammates are already in the locker room, and they would tell me how many points I had before I even looked at the stat sheet, you know. And so that made me feel confident um, about things because sometimes you think to yourself, man, because uh, all of us are great high school players, you know. And so, some, you know, you have moments where you think about, are my teammates okay with, you know, how aggressive I'm being out here, you know, regardless of what the coach is saying. But it's about, you know, we are a brotherhood here. You know, outside of playing this basketball, are you guys okay with the way we playing this game? And and they made me feel very comfortable um, with that. And so, uh, you know, we had a great relationship, and even to this day, you know, on and off the court, uh, because it was just more than about basketball. You know, it, 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 they are family to me, and uh, we played like that on the court. You know, uh, we played for each other out there, and that, that had a lot to do with Coach Williams. You know. Um, we knew that he was uh, a leader for us. He, he protected us, and so we was going to run through the wall for him. You know, that streak included, you know, two wins over Duke. You won in, in the Dean Dome at Carolina. You won uh, at NC State at Reynolds. Um, I mean, you, you the, the players, obviously, those were the great Duke teams with Leitner uh, and Hurley and Hill. Um, the Carolina team was great. The NC State team had, had Gugliotta on it. Um, I mean, you went through murderer's row to, to get those, <laughs> to get 30 points in eight straight games, which is still, you know, a, a conference record. Is there a game during that stretch that sticks out more than any other? Um, you know, they were, uh, it was great, man. Um, I, I always like to tell my, when my kids, I always joke with my kids, like, man, listen, every team that I played with, they were all tough teams. And it was many times I had to play against teams that had four and five pros yeah. on that team. And veteran guys, like guys who were pro-ready, but they were still playing in college. And I said, I will always have to play against whoever, whoever that best defensive player was. That was the guy that guarded me every night, all game. But at the end of the day, I don't care that everyone knew that when you came into the gym, I was going to be the one being aggressive and, and you had to put your best defensive player in all of that. They knew that coming into the game, they still had to come get that special, that, at Popeye, see that 30 piece special, man, every time with the biscuits, Kevin. Every time, because the thing was, I I was a I, I I paid attention to what was going on out there mentally. So I knew our plays. I knew where everyone was supposed to be. So I could pay attention to the defense and see when people were out of position or wherever they were, how I can take advantage of them before I even had the ball in my hand. So that's why it was so difficult for teams to be able to stop me because I I, I knew the game and that came from uh, Coach Williams. Uh, allowing me to play point guard earlier on in my career. And I wanted to be a leader on the court. So the first thing I did was take the approach of not learning what I was supposed to do on the plays, but learning to play like a coach. I knew what everyone was supposed to do. And so it gave me a different knowledge of what was happening out there on the court. And that gave me an advantage, uh, you know, even when I was off the ball, uh, being able to just score out there. 
You know, you, you went through it all, you know, during those probation years. And, and I actually want to ask you about that in a moment. But um, I, I, if my memory serves me correctly, I mean, teams tried everything on you. They tried box and one. They were trying triangle and two. They were trying everything to slow you down. You, you know, for those that didn't see Walt play at six, eight, he had long arms too. He had a great stroke. He had unlimited distance from behind the arc. And then he was able to drive and just with the, with, with the size, with the leaping ability and with those long arms, you just finished, you know, so easily, typically dunking on somebody um at the rim um but i mean they tried everything against you to slow you down during that streak yeah man you know um north carolina would do the full court uh pressure and try to turn you and run and jump uh duke would do that as well or pressure me with a little guy like bobby bobby would start off bobby hurley would start off on me in the first half but you know, just taking advantage of him around the basket, it would switch to like maybe Grant Hill and Brian Davis and those guys. And so, uh, you know, Clemson, they were, they were the team that would do the kind of gimmicks, the boxing one triangle and two chasing me with two guys and stuff like that. But, um, uh, it, it, those things, the, the execution that we had offensively, the, uh, me and Kevin McClinton, we would, we could just look at each other and tell which way, uh, he, he could tell which way I would run off a screen by just looking at him. We would have a play that we would have designed running one way, but I could tell the way the defense was playing. I, I wanted to go the other way. All I would have to do is look at Kevin. And, and then next thing you know, we, we, we were in tune and everybody was, uh, everybody started to uh, be able to adapt to situations out there. So we were in tune as a team. So, uh, you know, I was able to take advantage, like I said, because I, I could kind of see what was going to happen before it happened because of uh, the way uh, I paid attention to uh, uh, the defense. I remember that game, and I had Gary on earlier in the week, and we talked about it briefly. I remember that game at Duke when you guys lost, I think, in double overtime, like 95-93 or something like that, and Kevin McClinton had one of the best games, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, Maryland point guards ever had. You, you – uh, that was you know, not. I found out. Yeah, you, th- that that was not during your that that was not during the the the, uh, the streak. Um, no, I had but I had only about like twenty six or something like that in that yeah. game. I, I fouled out. I didn't play a lot of minutes. I was a foul trouble virtually the whole game. That game. All right, I want to find out if you were ever tempted to leave when the program got slapped with probation. Uh, We will get to that and a lot more with Walt Williams right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? 
not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So, you know, I know what the result was um, when you had a chance to transfer, not have to sit out a year when Maryland went on to probation. Walt stayed. We've talked about that. The story of that's been well documented. But were you ever close at that point of of leaving, uh, and and no one would have ever held it against you. I mean, you were a great player, and to have a chance to go somewhere else and play in the NCAA tournament and compete for a Final Four and a national championship, which you were not going to be able to do if you stayed at Maryland, I, no one would have blamed you. Were you ever close to saying, "Yeah, I'm going to leave"? No, I mean, you know, it was it was like I said, it was schools that were that were interested. I mean, I think it was like Virginia, St. John's, or Georgetown. I even had a small interest from uh, UNLV at that time. And so, oh, uh, God, you know, yeah. when I'm thinking about those schools right there, and uh, the thing I said to myself was, you know what, um, I'm not going to stress on thinking about one way or the other. If, if I wake up in the morning thinking to myself, you know, I, I need to at least explore things then that's what I'm going to do. But I never woke up thinking that. I woke up thinking every morning that I'm going to stick here with my family, and we, this is tough times, and we're going to get through this, and we're going to see the other side. I'm going to see it through to the other side with my family, and that's what it was. It was just simple as that. I mean, you ended up having a bond with one university um, and a connection to the program, and the head coach in particular, Gary Williams, that – um, you know, is a lifelong thing, you know, that, that yeah. people have always remembered you as a great player, but those were tough years, you know, as fans, obviously. Um, you know, that, that was the down period. I mean, you know, we had the one season when you guys weren't even on television. I was listening to Johnny call your games, you know, um, and, and we weren't even that good. But, you know, they, they, they were, you, your teams were competitive, though. You know, you, you yeah. hung in there, except for Bob Wade's final season, which was your freshman year. Um, mm-hmm. Helen, in your sophomore year, before the probation was announced, Maryland went uh, – you were borderline a tournament team in Gary's first yeah. year. Absolutely. We had beat uh, Carolina twice that year. Yeah. Who was nationally ranked. So, you know, uh, we had some good wins on our record being in the ACC. I, I believe we had about 20 wins that year as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, in retrospect – you look back at things, we, we, we feel like we absolutely should have been an NCAA bid, but we knew things w- w- was coming down the road and felt like, you know, that probably had some, something to do with things as well. Right. Um, what's the, in college, the best player you ever faced? Uh, that's tough. Uh, I'm going to say, although Vince Broadnax guarded him a lot, um, I had my moments on Tom Gugliotta. Um, that dude was tough to guard because of his size and the skills that the way he could shoot the ball. Um, he was, he was, he was the toughest to guard because, uh, you know, no matter what you did defensively, uh, you know, he was bigger. And so you just really was hoping that he missed out there. 
So it's not because I asked Gary a similar question because I don't think I had ever asked him. I asked him earlier this week. I said, "Best player you ever coached against?" And he said, "I hate to say this, but it was Christian Leitner." Uh, and I, you know what? I think the surrounding the players that were surrounding him uh, made him great. You know, you you playing with a guy like Bobby Hurley. Uh, a lot of people don't remember Thomas Hill. Thomas Hill was yeah. um, he was he was extraordinary. Uh, Grant Hill, you know, so he had some he had some really good pieces around him. Individually, I mean, I, I don't think he he was a good he was a solid player, but I, you know, Gugliotta to me had more skill set than him. Uh, you know, he he was just the right piece for that team and the best score on that team that which was the best team in our conference. So. You know, but uh, I think he averaged like maybe like 19, 20 points. I mean, Google I was putting up like 24 or something like that. You know, he was, you know, it was tougher. He had a lot more, uh, he had a lot more uh, versatility to him. He could do it on the block, but he was a wing guy, shoot threes, take you off the dribble. You know, he could take wing guys off the dribble, not power forwards, you know. So I just think he had more, he had more uh, versatility with him. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, you, you – because those were tough years, which led into obviously a long run of great years with Gary when the team came off probation, that was Duke's best run. You know, they won – you know, they went to the Final Four all four years with those guys. They won two national championships. But because we weren't as good, the games with Duke during those years weren't as intense as they would eventually become – um, so you didn't, you know, not only did you not get to play in an NCAA tournament, the ACC rivalry games weren't as big during those years because we weren't as good. Yeah, we, if we played Duke, that would be, you know, probably in the first round or something like that. Right. And so, you know, I, w- I would say this, you know, before I played, when I was in high school, I didn't, you know, I didn't care one way or the other. You know, it didn't matter with me with any of those ACC teams. I didn't feel one way or the other. But I would say after playing in the ACC, the reason why I, I disliked Duke was because out of all the teams that we played, I just felt like the officiating of of that game <laughs> was different than any other game. Right. You know, and uh, I always thought, man, they, they have so much talent. There's no need for that. Let's just let us hoop, and then we assemble it that way. You don't have to have, the calls don't have to lean their way, you know. And so I just always felt like walking out of those games more than any other game that the officials had an effect on uh, uh, the environment and how we played the game. And I felt like they allowed them to be a lot more aggressive playing against us. And, you know, uh, the way they officiated us, you know, they didn't allow the same aggression on the other end. I think that, uh, you know, those are things you got to be able to overcome. I thought, I think uh, ultimately uh, you saw those Gary Williams teams, they started to overcome that. And then you get to a point where, okay, this team has arrived, this this, this uh, university has arrived to this level right here. We got to respect them. And uh, I think Coach Williams uh, uh, got the university to that level. 13 years in the NBA, What's the what, what was your best game? I know you had a lot of big games. I mean, a lot of 30-point games, and I think probably a 40-point game or, t- or two. You were an incredible three-point shooter uh, in the NBA. What's the one, what was your best game ever in the 13 years? You know, you had such a – you and Tony Massenberg both played for almost every NBA team, I think. Um, but uh, what, was, what was your best game? I can't, you know, I had a lot of games where that's just, you know, just some good games. But I would say my most memorable was early on with uh, Sacramento. We were playing the Portland Trailblazers. 
And uh, I, I think I ended the game with maybe like 34, 35 points. And they had, you know, like Clyde Drexler, uh, Jerome Kersey, uh Porter. You know, that was a championship caliber team. And I remember having an incredible, incredible game. And they just kicked our butts. And I thought to myself, I have never, I have never in my entire life played this well and <laughs> lost a game, you know, let alone just they were beating us the entire game. We never had the lead. And I mean, I was playing incredible. And but I thought to myself, man, this league must this has to be at a different level right here. And that was kind of a, a, a wake up moment for me because I think it was in my freshman, I mean, my uh, rookie year. Uh, when we were playing it, but it was just that man. This, this league, I, I, you know, you get a, you get that realization of how good this league is. You can watch it and all of that, but I actually felt it in that atmosphere. Uh, like, man, um, these guys are the best in the world. I remember the end of your career. I think you played with Steve Francis, if my memory serves me correctly, in Houston. Um, I did. Yeah. Is Elijah Wan the best player you ever played with? Uh, yes. Um, I tell you what, that guy, he had some practice. He was at the end. He was at the tail end when right. I was playing with him. But some practices, man, he would, he would have to take an inhaler sometimes. It was just tough for him to breathe out there. You know, it was tough <laughs> on his dream at the end. But I tell you, he had some practices some days where you were just like, oh, my goodness. You know, the footwork, this dude in a small amount of space have dudes looking so silly out there. And uh, his footwork was just incredible. You talk about guards who shake guys and break them down or whatever. And it was just incredible to see a big man, you know, do that to uh, bigs in such a small space. Uh, he just had moves on uh, everywhere. And then he had counters. And so, um, you know, it was just, it was incredible to see him. And you knew that, man, this dude is at this age and he still, he still have moments where you go, man. And then on the defensive end, uh, you know, playing against him, even in his heyday, you know, uh, man, he was, he was, he could guard dudes on the wing, you know, keeping them, keeping them from uh, beating him off the dribble, contest jumpers, uh, take it from him. Uh, so, uh, you know, he was he was well-rounded on both ends of the court, man. So it was absolutely – he definitely was the best player I played with. You know, I, I, I just looked this up as you were you were talking. Um, first of all, on one of those Houston teams was not only Steve Francis but Tony Massenburg. So there were three Maryland players on the Houston team that you played in in 2000. In addition to Elijah Wan being on that team, Charles Barkley yeah. was on that yeah. team. So you got to play yeah, with Barkley. Yeah. What was that like? Oh, uh, it was cool. How you see him right on TV? He, exa- he that's him right there. He's so cool, funny, you know. And um, actually, I played with Barkley in his last game. Actually, uh, I remember um, we, we we were in a crowd uh, going up for a rebound, and he just let out a scream like I have never heard before. And when everybody backed away from him, I mean, his kneecap was like in his, down to his shin. You know, and uh, I mean, it was it was the most horrible thing I have ever seen. And so, uh, you know, he had came back later to uh, come in the game for a few seconds to, you know, uh, just run up and down the court. But to actually be out there in that moment, man, it was surreal. Uh, but I, I was lucky enough to play with some great players in my career. You know, Mitch Richmond uh, as well. He's one of the greats that I played with. But uh, Olajuwon and Barkley, I mean, those, those guys, man, that's that's the cream of the crop right there. Yeah, I'm looking at the game that you're referring to, Barkley's last game. Do you remember where the game was? Uh, 
I can't remember if it was at home or not. I, I it was. Remember. It was in. It was in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. It was in Philadelphia wow. where he started his career. And then you're right. He came wow. back at the very end of the season and played a couple of minutes um, against uh, the, against the Grizzlies uh, in his final year of his career. Um, man, you were around a lot of great NBA players during the course of your career. Amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, are you coaching these days or not? Nah, man, uh, you know, Clutch got me so busy right now. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I haven't been coaching in a few years since the pandemic. So I think after this year right here, uh, everything should be settled down. So probably next summer I'll get back in it because I enjoyed it, man. I enjoyed coaching them young kids and, you know, uh, then you see them going to college and stuff like that. So it was cool. I, I started coaching with a uh, six-man um, right. with uh, um, Violent Mouton's program. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I, I think that's the last time yeah. I saw you. So tell tell everybody what you're doing with Clutch. Yeah, man. So that's that's my uh, vodka brand. Um, you know, it's that smooth. We we uh, The difference between ours is no sugar, no carbs. It's gluten-free. But it's a, a, we go take ours through a coconut uh, filtration process, and, which gives us that smooth, clean taste, that premium vodka, but for affordable prices. So um, you know, it's 100% corn. Uh, right now, it's uh, sold in the Mid-Atlantic region, so Delaware, D.C., Maryland. And so, yeah, man, we're having a lot of fun with it. Um, and so we're excited about uh, March Madness and uh, doing some promotions. The Wizard, Walt Williams, everybody. Follow him on Twitter at WaltTheWizard42, and you can find out more about Clutch Spirits and the vodka um, that Walt's associated with. Thanks for doing this. Uh, it's great to catch up. Hope you're well. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Look, let me, let me do a shameless plug right quick. Our yeah. website is uh, ClutchSpirits.com. That's ClutchSpirits.com. And uh, our social media outlets is at ClutchVodka on Instagram and Facebook. And, uh at Clutch Spirits on uh, Twitter. I think I can throw that into you know a glass with some soda and some ice and be good to go. Yeah, man, <laughs> absolutely. Right. I'll talk. I'll talk to you soon. Hopefully, uh, hopefully they've got several more games left this year, and we can talk before one of them again. All right. Thanks so much, brother. Walt Williams, everybody. I enjoyed that. I hope you did as well. Look, Walt is a significant figure in the history of Maryland basketball. No one would have blamed him had he left when the program went on probation. Instead, he stuck around. And by sticking around, he kept Maryland basketball relevant. He was a star in the sport. And even though their teams couldn't go to the tournament, they remained competitive. And they had a superstar player. You know, a second-team all American player on their team, and that allowed Gary Williams to recruit. Without Walt Williams, they would have had bad years, horrific years, and Gary wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to recruit the likes of Dwayne Simpkins, Xre Hip, and Johnny Rhodes, which was his first big class, and then the year after that, Joe Smith and Keith Booth. I mean, Walt graduates uh, and leaves Maryland after the 92 season, and two years later, they're in the Sweet 16. There's no way Gary would have been able to turn it around that quickly without Walt staying. It allowed him to recruit back-to-back excellent classes, and Maryland went on a run of 11 straight years going to the tournament, seven Sweet 16s, two Final Fours, and a national championship. 
it would have taken a lot longer for Gary to put that thing together. He would have eventually gotten there because he's Gary and he's a great coach. Uh, But Walt Stang allowed him to recruit and recruit off of probation quickly. Um, A significant, significant moment uh, in the history of Maryland basketball was Walt Williams sticking around uh, to finish up his career at Maryland during two uh, horrific probation years. Uh, Probation uh, and a penalty that was far too severe for uh, what the crime actually was, which was Bob Wade giving uh, Rudy Archer a ride to class and then lying about it. Marilyn was essentially hit with the death penalty, um, and it was just totally, totally inappropriate um, and wrong uh, at the time. But off of probation, thanks to Walt, thanks to Gary, Marilyn turned it around quickly, uh, and eventually uh, that led to the program's lone national championship. All right, that's it for today. And again, on Monday, you'll hear my interview and conversation with Pat Behan, the head coach at St. John's, uh, and you'll hear about his battle with ALS. Have a great weekend. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.